We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Indeed and BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And we got some news that the NBA and the NBA Players Association have come to terms on an agreement for what this 2020-2021 NBA season is going to end up looking like. Mike's got the NBA press release called up. Mike, what are we looking at in terms of the agreement that they came to? Hi, Pete. Hi, Darius. Hi. Up, I'm sorry. We need to start doing that. I need to start like making this. No, more no, right into this. I like this. This is your like sage radio experience coming into play. I, no, but like, I, I do kind of like the business nature of the Laker Film Room podcast, and it, it kind of works and flows that way. Um, I I don't know what. In fact, I apologize. I, I, I retract. Um, that distraction. You retract your hello. hello. No, I, I like yeah. it. I, 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 I will start saying hello to you first going forward. Well, here, I mean, here, look, to, to just pull the curtain back a tiny bit, the three of us typically discuss stuff that's going on, sometimes with kids, sometimes with dogs, sometimes with the NBA before we start recording. So then it seems less appropriate to say hello. Right. But for the folks that just clicked on the podcast, they aren't aware of that. So, you know, yeah, just we, in case they think I'm some, for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm some cold hired gun or something. And we both are and just like don't care about these two personally. All right. Anyway, back to the league release. So um, as Pete mentioned, 
league and the players association as you guys all know by now come to this agreement uh, it, it got ratified today by the board of governors uh well it said that it was unanimous and there i guess the main things that we're going to get into here of course the season's going to start on december 22nd it's going to be a 72 72 game schedule uh, the broadcast and full season schedules will be released at a future date I, I am super curious, and we'll have a whole pod dedicated to this, about the schedule. How many cities does each team go to, right? Uh, how many, how, what's the Eastern versus Western Conference split? How does that compare to previous seasons? It's going to be so different and so unique um, that we're going we're gonna to need to spend a lot of time in the weeds on that. But since we don't know that yet, uh, a couple other things that are, that, are, that are important out of this. The new system is going to ensure an agreed upon split of basketball related income. That's what you hear referred to as BRI um, all the time. The league says in the event that player compensation exceeds the designated share in any season, there are going to be necessary reductions beyond that standard 10% escrow that's spread across the season and potentially the following two seasons. And that has a maximum salary reduction of 20%. So these are kind of the numbers that we've been hearing uh, reported on in the media for the last couple of weeks that the league has now made official. And the cap is going to stay at 109.14 million. The tax level is going to be 132.627 million. Now, Darius, let me kick that over to you. If you can make it just just boil down the what the, the tax limit is, how that affects things, and that salary cap number staying at 109, how does that, what does that actually mean for folks that aren't aware? I mean, so the cap obviously staying flat is, I think, fine. That's, to me, good news to a certain extent. Um, there were some thoughts that the, that the cap could go down. Um, and the thing is, though, is that there's only a handful of teams this year that have any cap space. I think it's like the Hawks and the Pistons and the Cavs and yeah, Knicks. the Knicks, the Hornets, I think, yep. have cap space as well. And so those were the only teams that were going to have cap space regardless. It didn't matter if the cap went up or if it went down. There really wasn't going to be a lot of movement there. The tax line to me is more interesting. Um especially as it relates to the Lakers, just because they will have the ability to go into the tax or spend above the cap, um, which is something they haven't really functionally been able to do that much in the last few years because they've been hoarding cap space, right? And this past season when they traded for Anthony Davis, and then they used various exceptions to go over the salary cap, but not by this huge number. But this upcoming season, they will have mechanisms in place in order to go higher and into the luxury tax. And so um, you don't happen to have, and I don't have this in front of me, so I apologize. Did the luxury tax number stay flat as well, or did that increase? Yeah, the the one thirty two. It's if it's not exactly the same, it's it's very close to where where it was last year. Is that one thirty two? So I think a lot of teams were hoping, um, especially teams like the Lakers, were hoping that the luxury tax number would go up. And I'm not going to get into a bunch of like collective bargaining agreement minutia here, but there are circumstances where the Lakers depending on which, on which exceptions they use. Um, for example, they would have the full mid-level, mid-level exception available to, 
to them. There are two different types of mid-level exceptions. There's the big one, which is around nine million dollars a year, and then there's one. Then there's a. Then there's one that taxpayers pay, which is closer to five or five and a half million dollars a year. The issue with using the bigger one is that it it puts you into a a spending ceiling where you eventually get hard capped and that number is like 3 or 4 million above the luxury tax line. So, I think a team like the Lakers potentially, they would have likely been hoping that the luxury tax went up and that it was more in line with where they wanted like if the cap went up next season, that the luxury tax would have gone up to that number. If I can just jump in real quick, the Lakers, their inclusive total over on basketballinsiders.com. Eric Pincus does a great job of keeping these up to date. So this is if everybody opts in and Lakers have several players, uh, AD, obviously, KCP, Avery Bradley, JaVale McGee, uh, Rajon Rondo, all of them have player options, right? But the inclusive total that Lakers are at right now is $119.6 million. So if you're trying to get a gauge for the Lakers in particular of where they sit in this whole setting, that's where they're at. Yeah. And so that's about $13 million under the tax line, right? But AD is not going to opt in. He's going to become a free agent. And then hopefully the Lakers re-sign him for the max. And so AD's salary is probably going to go up roughly between like six and eight million dollars next season to start his next contract. So getting back to your question, Mike, or when you kicked it to me, this idea of the the cap and the tax remaining ultimately flat, I don't think it's going to be a hindrance to the Lakers, but it's definitely something to keep in mind for sure. So just two sort of simple things out of this. The, the luxury tax line is going to stay the same, but my understanding of it is that the the cost of spending above that line are going to, is going to go down alongside league revenues. And so that is a basically the percentage by which you have to pay exponentially, which is why teams want to avoid being in the luxury tax X amount of years, because essentially the more you spend, the higher the percentage that you have to double back into the league or triple back into the league or quadruple back into the league. So that can help a team that's already over the line like the Warriors or you know potentially the Nets, like some of these teams that um, that are going to be getting to that level. The Lakers, uh, I think, are less likely, but it, it all depends on what moves that they make, right, who they sign and those kind of things. So that's that's one thing to keep in mind out of, out of uh, all of this. Uh, and and then, uh, Pete, what what else stands out to you about sort of the just the bigger picture um, of all of this and not just with the Lakers, but how it affects everybody around the league? Yeah, just the management of a massive revenue loss, right? They It was 10% last year, uh, which I think is considering everything that went on, not not awful, but this coming season, right? They're projecting a drop of possibly from 8.4 billion to 5.9 billion. And if you're, if you're trying to project revenue and have usually the salary cap is relative to that number. And this whole negotiation was to, to navigate a massive revenue drop where the cap, if it were relative to the actual projected revenue this season, could have gone down to 90 million, right? 85 million, 90, somewhere in there. And this is a way of smoothing that out um, to make sure that it, 
that type of drop that suddenly and that unexpectedly would have had ramifications in with luxury tax for free agents, for, uh, for players and owners and everyone alike that would have really permeated throughout the league. So this allows the, the league to base what they're doing kind of off of what was expected because otherwise it could have been just very disruptive to league operations, free agency and, and everything, uh, of of that nature. The other thing that stood out to me, Pete, was the escrow, right? And the Can fact you explain that, that a bit, like how it works? Yeah. So we Mike mentioned BRI earlier. The players and the league essentially split BRI 50-50. And so if league revenues are $8 million or $8 billion, then player salaries come out of $4 billion and then the owners get the other four billion, right? Like if that's what BRI. It's along those lines. In. There's some expenses that make that knock that player number down a little bit, but that's that's essentially the after that number, yeah, it's fifty fifty or so. And so, in order to guarantee the fifty fifty split, one of the things that the owners do is that they hold back a piece of the player's salary in an account, which is an escrow account. And as Mike mentioned, that number is. 10%, right? And so if LeBron James makes $30 million a year, and I'm just using round numbers here, then 10% of that is $3 million. And $3 million of LeBron James salary goes into this escrow account. And if league revenues or if BRI falls under that, then the player's salary, then they could have end up, they could have ended up making too much money in any given year. And so that escrow account basically would then go to the owners because that makes up for the revenue shortfall and for the fact that the players would have made too much money. If league revenues come in at where they were supposed to be or even come back in higher, then players get the escrow money back and potentially the owners may need to even cut a second check to them because revenues were higher. Like, hey, great. We're rolling in it. Yeah, CTC. Exactly, Mike. So that's what the escrow is. There were thoughts that the escrow, rather than being 10% or being capped, Mike, at 20%, that it could go up to 30% or 40%. Because as Pete mentioned, revenues could be down in the billions this upcoming season, while player salaries are not really affected by that. And so if the revenue shortfall is as great as Pete mentioned it could be, then the players would then say, okay, well, or the owners might say, well, we're holding back 30 or 40% of your pay, right? And we're going to stick that in escrow in anticipation of a massive revenue shortfall. The fact that the that the players were able to negotiate that down to a maximum of 20% and spread over two or maybe even three seasons, that's a win for the players. Um, because basically, they're going to see more of their paychecks. And that's important. It's almost... It's it's sort of the inverse, it's cap smoothing, as Pete mentioned before. And it's interesting that the league went for this, that the owners went 
for this idea because this same cap smoothing idea was what the owners were pushing for in the Kevin Durant free agency year when he signed with the Warriors. Like the league wanted to smooth out the cap and not have the new massive television deal hit the salary cap all in the same season. But the players didn't want that. And so that was the same year that the Lakers signed Mozgov and Dang for massive contracts. And it's because every team was just flush with all this new TV money, and it was reflected in the salary cap. And that also allowed the Warriors, who were already paying, you know, Clay Thompson a bunch of money and Draymond Green was making a bunch of money, but Steph was underpaid at that point. It allowed them to sign Kevin Durant. And it was like, well, damn it. You know, it would have been nice if the league would have smoothed the cap, but they didn't. And so that escrow piece is something that I think is is important for the players, especially because they're going to see more of their checks and they're going to be happy about that. Yo, uh, I need a math break, guys. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I well, it, Especially after this past week. At least I didn't start <laughs> to talk about Maricopa County. Yo, man. Yeah, absolutely. Too many numbers. Yeah, let's man. take a quick I, break. John let's King quick, in the mix. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk about, we've got probably a really fun week coming up in about a week where we've got this transaction window. We've got the draft. We've got free agency. Everything happening on this accelerated window and pace. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to talk about that. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash podcast. This is their best offer available anywhere. So right now, go to Indeed.com backslash podcast. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over, and football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so before we get to the accelerated window of the player transaction flurry that I think we're going to have... They settled on a 72-game season, which I think is notable in and of itself and deserves some of our time. Mike, what are your what are your thoughts on that that arrangement? Yeah, so it's that in its own right is interesting to me. And it's obviously 10 games fewer than a typical season, but it does mirror a little bit more closely what we saw last year before COVID hit, 
it, right and at at which point the Lakers were what 49 and 14, 14 or something I say. Yeah. yeah I think 49 and 14 and you can think back to the lockout season in 66 games and sort of what what impact does this potentially have on the schedule which types of teams does it benefit which types of teams does it hurt and the the first team that that I think of sort of in uh, kind of in in this context or the first two teams this is almost an inverse relation to um, how they played at the end of the season and I think there's there's I'm curious where you guys come down on this on the one hand take the Lakers and the heat so on the one hand they have the fewest rest on the se- the the second hand and this is assuming that most of these rosters stay intact uh, I think both teams will add you know a piece here a piece there but I don't think we're going to see any massive overhauls um, with these two rosters they also are in a better rhythm um, they have better systems, and maybe that's something that benefits them in terms of wins and losses. So uh, you could kind of go either way there. How many games does, do LeBron and AD play? How many games the Lakers play early? But do they compensate for that based on the unity, based on the cohesion, based on um, the confidence that they gain from those playoff runs? So those are sort of the two teams at the top. And then there's all the teams that didn't even make the playoffs that have that haven't played forever. So let's just start there. Uh, I, whoever wants to jump in on that, I'm like, what do you see as the the, the overweighing factor? Um, and maybe Pete, if you want to hit that, like, what's the thing that stands out the most about the 72 games um, for those two teams from the finals? I think of LeBron and AD specifically LeBron, right? And how does LeBron approach this season? Approach the beginning part of the season? He's made some jokes. You know, he had uh, President Obama on the shop recently and he was like yeah i'm not gonna play defense for the first half of the season and they they laughed right and but it does speak to it's not just the quick turnaround it is the the time frame in which he's going to be asked to decelerate from that playoff run to ramp back up uh he usually has a long vacation and then he, you know, will work on his body in through training camp, through preseason games, through the beginning part of the season. And then, and you mentioned this a while back when you talked about when his injury, his first season with us, he was just starting that ramp up process in, and that was Christmas day when he hurt himself. So that, you know, most seasons start on October 20th or so. So he was two months into the regular season at that point where he was really starting to get it going. Lakers were in a good groove. And now what does that look like? Right. So to me, this whole regular season is about um, making sure LeBron can get to that point where he needs to get to by the time he needs to get to it and developing younger guys. If we're a four or five seed or something like that, I, I think that it wouldn't surprise me a ton from, yeah, from a Lakers perspective, D like, is this, What's the approach to this regular season, man? Like, it's 72 games off, 72 days off from the end of the finals until now. And then you've got other teams on the other end of the spectrum, like Mike was talking about, like Golden State is like 292 days, right? So, what from a Lakers perspective, what's the approach to, especially the beginning part of this season? Well, and, and Darius, just to, to kick this to you, when you have a Lakers team that let's say that all everything that Pete said, I agree with, but now you have the 72 game schedule and let's say that you're, you're like, all right, it's time to ramp up, say for whatever it is, the second half of those games. And in a typical year where you, let's say you didn't have everything going early for all of these reasons, then, okay, what's really important. Let's get like one round of home court advantage. 
<laughs> that may be a moot point this year. So does that, like, if there aren't expected to be fans in the stands, or on the flip side, what if the vaccine really comes through and, like, more fans do return it? It's it, There's so much unknown there that makes it difficult to quantify how a team is going to pursue uh, that that's conference record. And the reason I brought up the 72 games, it just it slightly decreases your margin for error in terms of jumping up in the standings or not. But maybe all that stuff is moot anyway. But it, like that's that's the stuff that's that's intriguing to me. What stands out to you, Darius? Yeah, I'm. So look, we've talked a, a ton in the last few pods about the turnaround time for the Lakers and 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 just managing that entire process. And, and so when I hear a 72 game schedule, um, I actually think about the teams who haven't played in such a long time more than I think about the Lakers, Mike, because. The idea that you brought forward, and, and this is that same analogy carrying forward from the last pod, right, about year-round school, and and the Lakers have more recall to muscle memory at this point than a team like the Warriors, for example. Now, <clears throat> and I think we're going to talk about the Warriors a little bit more this pod, but they are a team with massive expectations, going into this season, right? They are a team that rightfully is going to want to compete again for an NBA championship. And just like you said, Pete, like it'll be what, close to 300 days? It's going to mm-hmm. be a, a huge number, right? Season shut down on March 12th and they won't play until December 22nd, December 23rd, right? That's a long time. And Training camps are going to be shorter. Preseason is going to be shorter. And so... Roster fluctuation. Yeah, like new draft picks, free agents. That, that's like, again, it, it's that it's why I'm like, I get the whole LeBron, AD, Danny yeah. Green, quick turnaround thing. But the Lakers also are knowing, just going to know how they're going to play. Is that an advantage early on then? Like, are we, am I looking at this the wrong way? See, because to the, me, like, that's these the games- paradox, Pete. That's, uh, that's what, that's what I'm, I go back and forth. I mean, I, I, I wanted to go where you started with and think, man, these guys are just going to be tired, bro. And they're like, they're going to get the Chicago Bulls coming in, flying. But then I'm like, well, wait, at the same time, Vogel's going to have them prepared. You know, like they know how to, what they're going to do to execute defensively. You know, like maybe that outweighs it in a typical year. Right. But like how much like what are the stakes for the Lakers? That's the thing about these early regular season games to me is like, yeah, will they be tired? But will they be fine for one game against Chicago flying in? Of course. Right. But it's how I suppose it's say say there's a a certain amount of energy the Lakers have to expend throughout the course of the season. Say they've got a 100 energy points and you've got to disperse them properly at the right time. So say you disperse five in the first month of the season and you're dispersing 25 or 30 in that playoff run or in that last month, right, is it it seems to me that the overarching goal would be to ramp up slowly to make sure that everybody can, that they can find some sort of equilibrium that they're three months into the season. Like to me, it's more important where they are three or four months into the season than it is how they start the season. And getting to that point, it's a different process, Darius, to get from A to point A to B. And that's why it's not so much that the Lakers couldn't win those games if they wanted to, or they'd be too tired to, to win those games. But it's like, do we, 
are we resting? Do they want guys? it? Yeah, do they want it? Why do that? Right. And this is the way that I was thinking about all all of this is like every team has problems, right? Or every team has hurdles to clear, and they're just different types of hurdles, right? And so in the way that the bubble was the same for everyone, right? No one is with their family. Everyone is quarantined. Everyone is sort of dealing with the same exact process. No travel schedule. Yeah. Right. Like the same ups and downs. Everyone is trying to manage the same exact situation. And with this, I think you're going to see a bunch of different types of scenarios depending on what your situation was and and they're going to be very unique challenges for the individual teams right and and so your point about the lakers and sort of early season desire or motivation to play at a high level um a little bit less to prove at the very beginning um countered by Mike's point of well we have familiarity and we we just did this and so we have um a better sense of each other and chemistry and all of that stuff those are positives and negatives and which side wins out is going to be interesting and no one can predict that at this point right a team yeah. like the warriors though i think about them and sorry to bring it back to them, but I no, find I want to talk super, more about them. Yeah, but yeah. I find them super interesting within this context that they haven't played for a long time, and the expectation is they're going to have to ramp up quickly, right? Do you remember the conversations that everyone nationally, and even you and I, Pete, that we were having before the season starter started with the expectations around the Lakers, right? Championship or bust. Brand new team, lots of turnover, new coaching staff, and they need to get out to a quick start. They need to actually show that they have it together because, you know, Jason Kidd is waiting in the wings and Frank Vogel, does he have the player's respect? And there was a lot of show us now that you have it, show us now. And to me, a lot of those same expectations are likely to be there for a team like the Warriors and that 72-game schedule, Mike, that you brought brought up, I think that this is where that's meaningful because the West is a bloodbath. You don't want to be 4-8, and eight, right? Or 5-7. and seven. Like Maybe the Lakers can be that, but if you're the Warriors, how, how much time do they have to find a rhythm, to get that cohesion, to are, how many new pieces are they integrating? Did they use their draft pick? Did they trade it? Um, did they get another superstar player that now they have to integrate another ego? Or like, There's just a lot of uncertainty around them for a team that really is supposed to compete to be one of the final four teams at least in the west by the time the playoffs come right like you expect them to be in the conference finals but they expect to win a championship yeah and and so i think what look i'm gonna let's stick on the warriors for now i'm gonna i'm gonna remind myself to get back to something from the kobe Powell lakers that i think can inform a little bit about what the lakers can expect with the 72 game thing but it applies to the warriors too and one of the reasons is just look at the rest of the Western Conference. So the Clippers are going to be good. The Nuggets are going to be good. The Jazz are going to be good. The Mavericks are going to be good. The Blazers are going to be pretty good. And then you've got, well, I didn't mention the Rockets. I mean, I that's a team that I think could fall a peg, but they're still going to be a good team. 
right? And with with Harden, Westbrook, Covington, and Tucker, like they'll still at least be good and tough and think they're going to make the playoffs. Then you've got some teams that are going to try to get into the mix, like Phoenix, uh, like Memphis getting back in there, like New Orleans. So Golden State, when we were ranking all these teams, we pegged them somewhere, you know, between three and five, I, I think, was was the, the rough general um, guess uh, between all of us. But that five spot certainly isn't guaranteed. And now that it is a 72-game season, um, and now that we haven't seen Clay play forever or Steph play forever or Draymond play forever since they barely played last year, and then you have this number two pick that comes in, is that a player that you just take in to slot next to him? Um, is, or do they think, hey, like we got to try to win now is taking a young guy at this spot really going to be the guy that can stay on the floor? Because they don't have any bigs. You know, Draymond, of course, is a, is a sort of a is a small ball big in his own right. But is he going to be that? Like, the Lakers are to some degree uh, a test against that. So I don't know if the Warriors think that they can hold up in a potential playoff series right there. So all of those things about Golden State are super interesting. And I tend to think that Steve Kerr helps a lot there. Like the vets help a lot there, and and they they will get on track earlier. Um, they will be okay. But uh, but Pete, how does that sit with you about the Warriors and this whole mix of of what they can do all in a in what's a lot of unknowns? But then it's weirdly also you do have three of the more known quantities with Steph uh, and Clay and Draymond. Yeah, it's two different ends of the spectrum all on the same team, right? You've got these three guys who are as familiar with each other as any trio is, and they've they've had that year off. I also don't discount, just because they've had a year off, doesn't mean that those five straight years of going to the finals still isn't on their legs. That's something that that they've played a lot of games, and I think that even with that time off, there's probably going to be some remnants of that. Also, from having that much time off, that can be dangerous from a a health perspective, right? Playing NBA games for the first time in that long. Uh, I I would not be surprised at all if we see more hamstrings, more things, you know, little, not just the Warriors, but just across the league. But then you think about, I think about the other guys of like, Andrew Wiggins, he's he hasn't played with Steph. If he has, it was only a couple of games, right? Eric Pascal, the, the different guys that they have on their their team beyond their big three has never played with that big three in any meaningful way. And so, yeah, so what did the so Lakers— so different from the vets that those guys are used to playing with, right, Pete? Right. It's totally different. Right, and them. it's so different from the way the Lakers just won this title. Even before we had training camp, LeBron's calling the players-only camp in Vegas. It's all based on this idea of continuity. This is our group. We're going to get together early, and we're going to— going to roll. I think a team like the Warriors, the Nets, a lot of those teams that are on the other end of the spectrum of the Lakers and Heat, they're going to be kind of figuring things out in a, they'll have training camp and all that. But during the season, that first part of the year, they're going to be figuring out a lot of things that may have been figured out a month earlier on a different timeline. You know, the Warriors, they have so many young guys who haven't played with any stakes, which I think portends for them likely to be more active in the free agency slash trade period than maybe otherwise they would be if for a team that has the number two pick in the draft, right? Like the last team I think that is at this level that had a draft pick that high was maybe what? The Spurs, 2000 Duncan? Like, no, like uh, those, those Pistons teams that were able to draft Darko. 
the year that they could have drafted oh, yeah, Wade yeah. or Oh, that's a that's a Carmelo. very generous framing of the drafting of Darko. The we're able to draft Darko. Look, he was but like, but, but it, you know it is like Chad it Ford is Ford. like you know the Spurs having Duncan and then Duncan getting hurt and or, I'm sorry, Robinson. Or Robinson, Robinson getting hurt yeah. and then them, you know, tanking basically um to get Duncan in like that, but that was the one that came to mind at in in that team was <sighs> Yeah, it, it's tricky though because we talked how many how many times have we talked this year, guys, about the Lakers? One of the reasons they won is because the roster made so much sense with your two stars and then your vets around them. Plus, the the young guy that you had in Crusoe was super smart, basically like a vet. And then Kuz, they kind of brought along quickly. It, that's not the formula the Warriors have. It's the three guys who know what they're doing, and then you know Jordan Poole and Smiley Smiley Jeech and uh, you know continued on the rest of the roster there yeah no marquise chris and yeah. pascal and just a bunch of okay rotation players but back of the rotation type yeah. they type haven't played any important games different yeah. even from the clippers role players or the nuggets role players to an extent you know maybe sure. the nuggets are a little closer there and i thought that was a big part where they lacked in playing against the lakers like they had Millsap who kind of knew what he was doing there, but then you'd throw MPJ out there and he, you know, could be great on offense and then completely destroy their defense at other times. So here's the other thing about, and and this is interesting just from the perspective of the rest of the teams in the Western Conference. And, you know, I'm going to throw this on you guys cold. So sorry, we did. This wasn't one of the topics that came up in our 20 minute conversation before the podcast, but the Lakers won with size, right? And versatile size, Anthony Davis and um, and then Dwight Howard and then JaVale McGee and then obviously LeBron James. And then, you know, even their smaller lineups could be power lineups because they threw out Markeith Morris. And and perimeter size too, though. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and then like perimeter KCP size. Green, Crusoe, t- yeah. Exactly. And so one of the things that I'm wondering about is, is – do you think do you guys think that other teams around the league are going to start to build towards that? Mike, you had mentioned earlier about the idea of um like the Kobe Powell Lakers. And I remember after the Lakers, you know, went to the finals in 2008 and then won back-to-back championships in 2009 and 2010, there was this massive response from teams around the league trying to gobble up size in order to match up with the Lakers' massive front line of of Powell and Bynum and then Odom, right? And you saw OKC, they like went after Kendrick Perkins and other teams were sort of like skewing bigger with the understanding at some point they were very likely to have to beat the Lakers. Meanwhile, you counter that with like, look at a team like the Warriors. They don't have any size, right? And and, and so, and a team like Houston, so they don't have any size. And these are teams that want to contend. They want to win a championship, Golden State especially, but Houston is still talking that talk too. Like they want to be one one of those teams. So... Do you think that around the league you're going to start to see more teams or potentially the Warriors because they have the number two pick in the draft and there's potential there for them to draft a good young big man? Do yeah. you think that, that that this is going to influence team building from other teams around the league? I, it's such a good question, but I think it's a I think all teams would love to say that they can do that. And here's the problem. 
you the reason that the Lakers could were huge, but then could also be small, was because of LeBron and AD. And those guys aren't just out there hanging around for you to come and bring into your team. Like a super versatile two-way star that can play multiple positions in the front court and handle the ball. And it does harken back to the Lakers when they won the title with those Kobe Pow teams. Because remember, their closing lineup was not the big one with Drew. It was with Pow at the five, Lamar at the four, um, Ron or Ariza at the three, Kobe at the two. Guess what? You're still big. Yeah, those are massive lineups. With your small group. Kobe's bigger than almost every shooting guard. Meta, bigger than almost every small forward. Lamar Lamar used to say... uh, had one of my favorite lines and I asked him about like kind of, you know, adjusting to playing in some of these smaller lineups. He'd like, look, man, um, I'm not the strongest man in the NBA, but I'm far from the weakest. Like he, <laughs> he kind of took some pride in his, in his toughness as he grew on with that team. And the other thing, Pete, that, that I, that I was thinking about when you guys were talking about earlier and repeating and what's the mindset of the Lakers and how do they come out the first month of the season and 72 games? Well, the thing that got that, the team, the Lakers, after they beat Orlando the next year, right? With the repeat year is always harder in all in all facets. And the thing that really pulled them through was Kobe. Like Kobe's fierce mentality. Yo, guys, we're we're not done here yet. Like let's let's go. Let's keep going. He was that bulldog um, that drove that that bus. And so that's that's the one thing. Now LeBron is a is a bit of a different type of leader, but we know that he's not like he's still very much building what he started or many years ago and like he's not trying to drop off next year and not win the title that's not part of what he does and now davis got davis has had a real sniff of that he got like he's got the taste now he's gonna get his ring on opening night and be like oh this this is dope i want another one of these and and that permeates through the rest of the roster so i do think that some of that I guess, Pete, in a long way, I've kind of sort of come around in the last 40 minutes or so to say that I'm going to veer towards the optimistic that even if they miss games here or there, it's a little bit like the Raptors, you know, even after Kawhi left, like they just had that sort of championship medal in them. And if a guy missed a game here or there, the other guys found a way to compensate and win games. So I'm going to veer in that direction. I don't know if that means they they have to get the number one seed, Darius, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veer towards that for all of those reasons, you know, going back to the Kobe days. Just to jump on that point for a second, Mike, remember the OKC game when Le- neither LeBron or AD played? Remember that Chicago, and that was on the road. You remember that Chicago game where they were in Chicago and the starting group really didn't have it? These reserve players for the Lakers took immense pride in their ability to to step up in those moments when the stars were not playing well or the stars were not available, right? And, and so I just wanted to to tack that on to your point right there about championship medal and role player guys because these guys have pride too, right? And they want to play well as well. So there's a right way to do this and a wrong way to do this in terms of approaching the regular season for the Lakers that plays right into what you're talking about there, Darius. That OKC game, Rondo had a huge game. Kuz was great in that game. Kuz, Kuz so happy, Pete, that those those shot attempts are there. Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he was like, and finally, as well, right? Like, as well he should be. As well he should be. Absolutely. Yeah. And so those are 
to me, you sit down at the beginning of the season with LeBron or with AD, with anybody, Danny Green, anybody who needs potential load management, and you circle games and be like, all right, you're going to sit here. You're going to sit this game. You're going to sit that game. Pete, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there. There's no load management on the Lakers, okay? If there happens to be an injury, one that needs uh-huh. additional treatment or rest for that player to get better, then they might potentially miss a the game. There's no, there's no, there's no, there's I'm no, not going to say think- a team. I'm not going to mention the team. I don't like, I don't like the word load, the phrase load management. I don't like what it says about basketball. I don't care if it's in this season. Um, I am striking load management from just me, just me. Uh, from the the way to describe it remove it from the lexicon Pete. get it out get it out all Pete. right if look if somebody when lebron sat last year he had a sore groin facts right and i understand that these are different circumstances though right we're talking about navigating this quick turnaround and nope. what's important to me is that if you're playing if you're on the court you're playing you're rotating yeah you're right there's true the the version of this where it's and, and look, LeBron is a master of load managing in game, knowing exactly when he can take a break. I'm sorry, I got off. Adjust my vocabulary, Mike. I, I saw that look uh, of, <laughs> of knowing when he can get rest without harming the team. But there's also a version of that where he doesn't close out to a corner shooter, right? There's versions of that. We saw this with the Clippers, who I didn't think took the regular season particularly seriously. If you're suiting up. For even in this 72 game regular season where we don't have much to prove, we're working towards something, right? Everything builds on each other. And and, and the the less roster movement that we have, the more we can get away with stagnance, I suppose. But if you're going to play, then freaking play. And the teams that get in trouble in, in my experience are the ones that are like, oh, we're just staring at the clock waiting for it to be playoff time. And I think if we take that approach to this regular season, that's going to be particularly harmful. You know, what really stands out here, Pete, in response to that is Frank Vogel. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to say that it's, there's a part of it for me that the way that he came up in the game is is one that honors that type of show up and and yeah. honor every day. And I think I think of Spolstra a little bit for this one, but you know so the coaches that just like they Frank Vogel wasn't obsessed with basketball because he was dope at it. And right. he was like he, he <laughs> I know the be, feeling. Yes. He was yeah, I mean just you know look like the like the three of us to, to a certain degree, right? Like we're all we're in, in Darius who also has a, a real full-time job you know, doing this podcast on his Tuesday night. Um, like that's that in vocal takes that to a, a much higher degree, right. By literally devoting his life to this. So I, and that's not to say that some of the former player coaches didn't have that same type of love. Maybe it hit them in a different way, but basketball was just there for those guys and presented to them. And there, I think could be a little bit of a, of a resentment sometimes to, you know, early parts of the regular season. That's not there for Frank Vogel is, I guarantee it hyped about the season starting on December 22nd. And that positive attitude, the preparation that's going to come with that is going to help. It's going to help the Lakers navigate this um, up and down the roster. And I think that's a key, he's a key figure um, as a as a leader in, in approaching it day by day and keeping that attitude, which will be important this season. Yeah. And just to build on that, Mike, the one thing that we credited Vogel with the entire season, and we damn near spent a whole pod just talk, talking about this one key trait about him is that it's his communication and his truthfulness, right? And the ability to communicate truth in a way that does not alienate, 
that does not put people in a position where they are like resentful or not wanting to go along. So I do anticipate him having the right kinds of conversations with LeBron, with AD, in order to speak to Pete's point earlier about what is our approach going to be? How are we going to manage this? What's the best way that we want to do this, right? And and to speak to Pete's point again, it may not be taking entire games off, but it may be like, hey, LeBron, your shifts are going to be this long. Yeah, give instead, me 24 right, right? minutes of LeBron as opposed yeah. to 34. Yeah, give me like, look, last season you played well, 32 minutes a night, right? It was a career low or 34 minutes a night, whatever it was. We're going to try to get that down to 31 or 30, right? And AD, you may only be 27, but we're going to manage you in in a way, right? And that means a different conversation with a Kyle Kuzma or a different conversation with a KCP or an Alex Caruso or a Kalen Horton Tucker, right? And setting expectations across the entire roster about what it's going to need to be in order to get through the grind of a 72-game season that may be condensed, right? Um, we still don't know what the what the travel is going to look like or or how many back to backs they they will actually have and there's going to be all kinds of factors that play into how the team plays on any given night night to night to night to night over the course of of those 6 or 7 months right but to bring it back full circle they are going to need to make sure that they're all on the same page, that they're all rowing in the same direction. And to speak to Pete's point and the point that you were making, Mike, as well, that that take it seriously and do it the right way. And in the end, that's the preparation that they need, right? It because if you're if you're handling the process the right way, then you're gonna be able to live with the results. But you can't take shortcuts with this type of thing. So I just looked real quick, and if if my math is right, the Lakers played 29 games last year before Christmas. Uh, actually, I should say before December 22nd. So there is the reason I want to check is because you mentioned about the back-to-backs, and that would that would lead me and us to believe they're going to have to play a bunch of back-to-backs. But right. maybe maybe that's maybe that's when they get some of that unique scheduling. Like okay, San Antonio instead of going to LA twice. You're in LA from January 25th to, to uh, February 1st. You're playing the Lakers twice and the Clippers twice. Not an awesome mm-hmm. road trip uh, in terms of uh, in terms of potential win losses for teams coming in, but maybe that's part of what it is, and that's that's how they build in those back to backs. And so, you know, the, if the Lakers go on an, on an East Coast trip, I guess actually that's where it gets tricky, though, guys, right? Because you only play the team in the opposite conference once in their arena, but maybe they say, okay, this year you're playing half the teams twice in a row in their building. And then when they come to your building, the East, like they're playing you. So in other words, you play the Bucks twice at Staples Center, but then you play the Bulls twice at United Center. Right. And like maybe maybe that's the way you reduce some of the travel and you lessen the risk. But it, it like, they, right, they just based on simple math, if they're going to end the season at the same time, there's going to have to be a lot of those type of back-to-backs, aren't there? Well, it could also be too where you don't play the Nets at all. 
right? Or you don't play the Knicks. True, or- but just but just to get to seventy two though, I'm saying like because if you're if you're you're chopping ten games off the season, but there were like twenty five games if you had been like right, if you had been playing, so that's a difference of plus fifteen right. games is my point. Unless right. I'm unless I'm just miss, missing that. No, you got to fit a okay. seventy two games into a much shorter period of time than the eighty two games. I also think though too that the normal regular season and the final the normally the finals would would end second or third week of june and free agency would be july 1 right. i think we're likely looking at a two season process um of getting things back on track right and so in theory so you might have two later. shortened yeah i okay. think you might have two shortened off seasons where now Free agency may start August 1st, right? And you get to 72 games, regular season games, but maybe those push you into the first part of May instead of the first part of April, right? That makes sense. In summer leagues out anyway, basically, you're saying, and you you just go into July this year. Or what, like, when does the the Olympics start? Let me Google that quick. Oh, yeah, because the Olympics could have a play in this as well and they wanted to be done before the olympics started i think it's in july yeah that's in, okay so the olympics i believe start on july 23rd so in this case Darius's theory could you know that would make total sense where instead of cramming in all these back-to-backs you just plan on instead of having the finals at the end of june you have the finals in the middle of july and you just get three weeks that way or whatever and then you're you know and then you're that basically makes up for that gap of the extra 15 games right Yes, hopefully. Okay. And there's a lot of pieces at play when when it comes comes to this. And it could just be like, look, if NBA Finals is on, if Game 7 of the NBA Finals is on July 22nd, right? As long as they're not conflicting with the Olympics at all, I'm pretty sure that the league will be happy with that. Yeah, and that's the plan. Yeah, yeah. So... Let's let's shelve the conversation about the flurry. Uh, that let's have that for Friday's show because we've got that transaction window, the draft, and then free agency coming up. Uh, we'll we'll wrap up here. We'll do a draft preview at, at some point in the next week as well. Um, we do. I got to learn players' names, Pete. You don't do have, to, have learn to learn players' names. names. You know, okay. this has always okay. been the arrangement. Hey, you know yeah. what? You know why you don't have to? Because Jesse Bus has you covered, bro. Oh, That's right. fantastic. He's like a warm blanket on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now that we're not drafting high anymore. I, it's one of those things where I can't jump into it this late in the game and be like, yeah. oh, yes, I have this educated opinion. I'm like, on look, it. Why do you guys want me to learn what who's going to be who they should take it? Like number 27, 28. That's exact. Like Coos, Josh Hart, sure. Zoo, right. that's the, Larry Nance. That's the range, bro. That's where that's where Jesse makes magic. That's where happen. the magic happen. Yeah. Yeah. I will learn about these guys after. Thank that's you. Right. <laughs> Thank but, you. Uh, we're going to try to bring someone on who knows their names and their games now between now and the draft. Sweet. And, right, uh, but on Friday, on Friday, I want to get into that flurry. We had, you know, a week's worth of diving into the rabbit hole of Twitter for the election. And I think we're going to have another week of that between the transaction window. We already got some rumors tonight, uh, the transaction window, the draft and free agency. So in the next pod, we'll discuss that. But until then. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.